Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for this week's guest, as usual. This is one of my favorite players. Glad I got to work with her on the provincial team. She is a two-time All-ACC First Team All-Star. She was on the ACC Academic Team also two times. She was on their All-Freshman Team. As mentioned, she was a member of Team Ontario, the Junior National Team, is on our national team, and recently signed a new pro deal, so we'll hear all about that. Please welcome to the show, Lane Van Buskirk. Thanks for doing this, Lane. Thanks for having me, Josh. Long time no talk. Right? So let, let's get into it. I think people who know you well will know that you're an awesome tennis player. So what was it like growing up, and what made you choose volleyball over tennis or anything else that you were awesome at? Yeah, I started tennis when I was five, and I was dead set on like going to university to play tennis, becoming a pro tennis player, and like that was just like my life. Like, devoted all my time to that. So, when volleyball started, I was in about grade eight. I started club volleyball. Was not having it. Quit in grade nine just to focus on tennis. And then in grade 10, I started getting more serious about volleyball when I started just growing. I was like six, three in grade 10. <laughs> and yeah, and getting interest to try out for Team Ontario and that kind of stuff. So, I did it just kind of jokingly to see what would happen. And I made the team, as you know, you coached me. And then I was like, okay, now what do I do? Now I want to play tennis and volleyball. So I started considering Hillsdale College because they were going to let me do both. And I was like, all right, this sounds like a great plan. Let's do that. I can do both until bigger offers came. And then I had to really get serious and pick one. So was that part of your recruiting process where like division one schools for either volleyball or tennis said like you're all in, it's one or the other. No, no, none of the bigger schools you spoke to. were going to let you try to do both. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the only actual big school to talk to me was the university of Pittsburgh, which is why I went there, but I was going to be content with going to a smaller school because I didn't actually know my potential in volleyball. I just thought it was a cool side thing to do for tennis. (laughs) that's awesome so with volleyball you mentioned you kind of quit it and it wasn't fun where i think volleyball gets really fun when your skills are appropriate so not not to call you out but i imagine you had like the tall lanky phase with how fast you grew did your growth spurt affect tennis too or was it mostly with volleyball i think it affected tennis more than volleyball because of the hand-eye coordination has to be so precise with the racket oh true um so growing it was just just a little bit off and it just messed up my swing so by the time i was like 15 my tennis was kind of getting a little iffy but I could have got back on it but my peak was definitely before my growth spurt nice nice and one thing that I enjoyed about working with you and I I credit this to you being a high level individual athlete where it looked like some of those characteristics transferred to volleyball where I thought you were always super focused like you didn't get distracted you knew what your role was you always performed to your capabilities Am I dreaming or was that a credit to being an individual athlete in tennis where there's no subs, you're on your own? Is that where you gained like a lot of mental toughness that you applied to volleyball? For sure. I think tennis is like one of the best sports to get better at any other sport because you have to, you're out there all alone. You have to rely on yourself. 
it's huge mental game. So when you get teammates and get that support, it just makes it that much easier. Nice. And, and you can, you can, I can cut this out. You can be honest if you want, where we've had previous guests like Jake McNeil that he mentioned when he gave up hockey that maybe his dad has not forgiven him to this day that he pursued volleyball over it. Was there anyone in your house who was a little disappointed that you went volleyball road over say tennis? I mean, my parents were, they spent so much money on tennis and they're like, Oh my gosh, like we put so much into this, drove you every weekend. I trained in Toronto, which is like a four hour drive, but they can't be mad at me now. So (laughs) awesome. My tennis coaches as well. They're like, what the heck? But sorry guys. Yeah, I imagine having a, a, a 6'3 athlete that moves as well as you do that that's pretty pretty praised in the tennis world, so I imagine they miss you a lot. My dad still thinks I'm going to be pro tennis player. So. <laughs> still time. Still time. <laughs> so you did mention that you didn't like volleyball at first, and then when you started taking it seriously, like the provincial team came along, and shortly after, I actually think the same summer, you made the junior national team. So was it a case of your confidence came when the confirmation of making these teams came or were you confident in volleyball and then came to these tryouts? Like what was the order for you to know that you were legit and could play at the next level? I don't think I really knew until I made team Ontario. Like I did not expect to make that team at all. And then the next week making the junior national team, that's when I was like, okay, this is probably what I should do. But before that, like I'm from Windsor, Ontario. So I played on South County, which not there's not that many girls here that are too serious about volleyball. So I knew I was good for here, but I didn't really know what that meant. Nice, nice. So was there anything that kind of confirmed it for you? Like when you were at National Team Challenge Cup and, and dominating, was that a sign that you're like, oh, maybe like I am very good at this? Or was it till you uh, played for the junior national team that you knew that you're, you're at the highest level for your age group? At Nationals, I don't know what year it was one of the later years I was MVP at nationals when we won that the Eastern nationals. So I was like, okay, if other people see this, then I guess I am pretty good, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so what went into your recruiting process? Were you the one pursuing it? Did the club really help you out? Or were you just getting attention because of nationals and provincial team? Like when did you start to look at post-secondary options? Yeah. My recruiting process was much different than everyone else's. I never made a video. I never reached out to any schools. They kind of just came to me, but the only big school to come to me was Pitt, University of Pittsburgh. Um, They actually saw me at Provincials one year when they were going to watch Kiara Shannon, who you probably know. Um, She, they were really interested in her, but she ended up picking University of Michigan. So I was kind of like their second option if she didn't. And I was like, yeah, perfect. Let's do it. Did they tell you that story right off the bat, or did they wait till they had you uh, confirmed before they let you know that uh, they were there to watch another athlete first? I mean, they they were open that they were there to watch her, but I was just happened to be playing against her that match, and they saw me. But they're already there to offer her. So you only so went on like on sorry, uh, you just went on one official visit. Like, were you looking at any U Sports schools, or, or Pittsburgh approached you, and you're like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do this. I always wanted to go to the States to play. Like I said, I've always thought I was going to play tennis in Florida or something. Um, so when Pittsburgh noticed me, my dad was super pumped that a big uh, power five conference school was interested in me. So they were actually the only school, the whole process to be interested in me until after junior national team stuff. So them being the first to actually recognize me, I, honored that nice nice credit to them and their recruiting staff for 
keeping the best kept secret to themselves. That's good. So yeah. looking at, at the roster you play with Pittsburgh, it wasn't unusual for a few internationals. Like I was looking at the roster today. There's a couple Canadians. There's some people from Europe. Like what was the feeling when you arrived on campus, like not being the only international player there? Yeah, my um, recruiting class has a Slovenian, a Greek girl, and me, and then a couple Americans. So we're super cultured. So that was pretty cool. I thought it was going to be hard for me coming as a Canadian, but with those other girls, it was much easier to adapt with them. Um, And then there's Hawaiians on the team as well. So it was super cool that we all could come together and just play volleyball. So with you, people who know you well know that you're hilarious, but people who meet you for the first time might say you're quiet. So for you being a Canadian kid and going to a big school and and a sport that really, or excuse me, a school that really values sports, What were the first few weeks like? Were you pretty quiet or was everybody pretty open and you got used to it because you already had like a built-in social life with the other girls on the team? I was for sure super quiet when I got there. The girls were actually there for the summer before because I was playing with the junior national team, so I missed coming a summer early. So they had already all been friends, so I was coming into it a little bit late. So I was shy, but as they know, that changes pretty quickly. (laughs) nice and what was it like being in pittsburgh where i think overall it's a great sports city where they they have a major league sports team it seems like in every available option they're all competitive they all wear black and gold for some reason like what overall was your feeling about the city it's an amazing city it's super underrated it has this reputation of like the gross steel city but it's not like that at all anymore um like going to pirates games and like Steeler fans are crazy. It's just a super cool city to be around uh, for big game days. Nice. And how did they respond to university sports? Like, would you guys have a crowd for your matches? My freshman year, not even close. It was just parents. But as we kept winning, we were, like, sold out by the end of it. Awesome. And I'm always interested because the NCAA does media really well. When we had uh, Jen Cross and Autumn Bailey on the show, they, they both told stories about how Michigan State just hates Michigan. So was there a rival or a big big game that you would circle on the calendar every year that Pittsburgh just doesn't like this other school no matter what sport you're playing? Um, no matter what sport, it's always Penn State. I know you just had Tori Garrell on the show, but Penn State is our rivals. Nice. And would a big crowd show for that game or would, would the mood at practice change? Like when they say a rival, is it something that we just talk about on ESPN or is there actually like a mood in the team room that this is going to be a big one? No, it's real. It gets pretty sassy. This year we played Penn State twice actually in our preseason. We went to their place and then they came to ours. So that was so fun. That was like my, one of my best memories of college was actually getting to play them because they were usually just like a big name that we want to face and end up losing but we took them down this year so that was big yeah you beat them at home right or did you beat them both times you played them no we beat them 3-0 at their place and then lost in five at our place oh okay nice so how would you rate uh the acc level for games so coming from ontario and going through our club system was there a big jump when you went to university and, and playing in a big power conference like you mentioned yeah very much so um, I mean, all the top girls from Ontario end up going to a Power 5 conference school. But that's just all the best ones. Everyone's like that in the ACC, so it's huge competition. It's not like Big Ten, but it's definitely rising in level as the years go by. 
And how would you uh, explain the tournament to some people who haven't watched you play where you got to play in the tournament a few times? It, again, does the mood change when, you know, everything's on the line, games are on TV, you have to travel a little bit more, you're playing teams from outside your conference? Like, is it a, a big deal for you to go into the tournament and kind of get fired up? Because you guys made it to the second round a few times, right? Um, yeah, we lost in the second round all four years, oh, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Killer. But yeah, the mood definitely changes because everyone's just that much more tense. The coaches know that like our whole season goes into the tournament. Like that's what you work for. So every point matters at that point. Um, like you can lose a game in season and it's fine. You still make the tournament. But if you lose in the tournament, you're, you're done. Your season's over. So um, it's definitely more stressful. Just the whole vibe is tighter. And what can you tell us about uh, Coach Dan Fisher and, and the other coaches at Pittsburgh where he's been on a few podcasts. Uh, we'll, we'll plug it anyways. I'm sure people listen to both, but he's been on Coach Your Brains out a few times, and I think he does a great job. So do you? what have you enjoyed about practice and just the way his learning style and the way he teaches things? He is amazing. I did not expect to be coached that well. I mean, that's the first time I've ever actually been coached like for a consistent amount of time. So all my skills I learned from him. Um, and I'm very proud of that. He practices the way that we want to play a game and every point is like life or death. So practicing at that state every day against great girls can only make you better. So I've improved so much from him. Now, can you give us some examples that not only that I can steal, but our listeners as well? So when you say practices are intense and everything matters, does that mean every drill has a winner and a loser, like you're always keeping score? Or what builds that intensity if somebody wanted to replicate that in their own gym? Yeah. Well, we always do. There's always a winner and a loser. We like to keep it competitive because that's what games are. You win or you lose. Um, the losers usually have to do some sort of punishment sprints being the worst. He calls them fish sprints. Um, just six touches on the lines, but they just sound really scary. <laughs> um, you have to finish it in 13 seconds. So you do it again. So, I mean, punishment works. It's not the most fun, but it really drives us. But usually at the end of the practice, we're at the point where you don't need to punish us and we all just want to win so bad. Nice. And how have you found the balance in the team room where you can be across the net from somebody and want to tear their head off and win the drill, but then you guys go back to being a team? Like, I think that's easier said than done to find the balance sometimes. So how, how do you stay as a squad when you're off the court, but also just battle when it's in practice time? Yeah, we were very good at that, uh, being sisters off the court and kind of rivals on the court. We're always competing for positions and everybody knows that and proving ourselves in practices. Fish, we call him Fish, Coach Fisher, would have focuses of the practice every day. And a lot of the times it would be sassiness. So he wants us to be like sassy with each other and calling each other out. It just makes it that much more competitive and more fun on the court. Yeah, it does sound like a fun environment to be a part of every day. <laughs> yeah. So when you mentioned you learned a lot of skills from him, was a lot of it through individual? Like, would you have your own kind of performance plan and video? Like, would he really break down a skill and work with you through it? Or was a lot of it like team stuff during practice? Like imagine it's both. I'm just wondering the, the way you've improved over the years. How did, how did he accomplish that by working with you? Um, yeah, it's both before practice. The coaches are always out there ready to give you reps on whatever you need. So that's when you get all your individual work in. So for me, I would go out early a lot and work on blocking reps and just getting that footwork down. 
all the other girls do like serve and pass that kind of stuff and then on the court he um at the beginning of the week of preseasons we would just go through every skill and until we got it down we wouldn't move on to the next one like day one would be setting if we're not good enough day two is still going to be setting we just keep going until everybody has it down Nice, nice. And how do you feel like you've improved over the years just in terms of your own game? Because one thing that stands out to me whenever I get a chance to watch the NCAA games, especially live, is it's wicked fast. So for you being a middle, did you do a lot of technical work? Did video really help you in your scouting? Like what were some little tricks that helped you improve to play like a very tough position at a high level? I work really helped me out. I didn't even know that was a thing before college, like what to watch when. So knowing to look when to look at the setter's hands, when to look at the ball, really helped me out with the speed of the game. And if you had to map that out, what is it? Because I think a lot of coaches at the younger age groups, we focus on like ball setter, ball hitter. But I imagine you're looking at more and maybe a little bit more detailed. So if you had to think about it, kind of describe where your eyes are going, maybe on a, on a perfect pass. What is, what is your progression? Yeah, we evolved from ball setter, ball hitter to we called it snap, snap. So as soon as you know the ball is not coming over the net, it's not an overpass, um, your hands immediately go to the, your eyes immediately go to the setter's hands. And once it's released from the setter's hands, you go to the hitter's arm. Because all the information is coming from the hitter's arm, whether it's going to be a tip or roll or what direction it's going. So that's what we ended up doing. And your footwork was just so crisp that you could always close to your pin blocker? Not always. A lot of drift moves. Oh, so you drift deliberately then? Yeah, a lot of the times. Oh, sweet. So take us through that because usually when we nerd out on the show, it's usually setters because they have the most to brag about with the tactical stuff. But as a middle, you're saying you have like multiple footwork where if you know you're going to be late, you have a drift footwork where you can land safely and not take out your left side or your right side. Or like, are, do you do a shuffle step? Do you open cross plant? Like what are some ways that you can close blocks at a, a super high level? Yeah, there's a, we actually have a lot of different block moves. We use them on Team Canada, too, the same ones. Um, you can do a three-step drift move, but if you have time to do a three-step drift move, you probably don't have to drift. So usually it's a two-step drift move. And then the landing and a split is huge for all blockers so that you don't sprain anybody's ankle and you can just land safely. Can you describe uh, what landing in a split is just so all our listeners understand? Because we are audio. I'm just, I yes. can hopefully find some video of it. But what does that mean if you had to describe it? Um, landing with your right foot in front and your left foot behind. So both blockers do that. You're not going to land on each other. Oh, smart. So the pin blockers have the same footwork. So it's, it's yeah. safe but also tactical. Nice. Yeah. Uh, on the other side would be left foot in front, right foot behind. And if the pass is off the net, does your eye work still go to the setter pretty early, or do you maybe drop your hands because you know you're going to have to close either way, or is it the same progression whether it's a good pass or poor pass that it really only changes on maybe an overpass? If it's 10 feet off the net, I'll drop my hands. And then if it's even further, I might take a dedicated step with the flow. Now, a lot of setters on the show have bragged that they do a lot of eye work. They look through the net. They see if a middle is committing or fronting or staying neutral. So as a middle, when you know that, do you ever play tricks with them or is your job to stay neutral and just react and really watch their hands and release with speed? I don't try to worry about what they're thinking about doing. I'm just going to stay neutral until I know. Our motto is go when you know. Nice. So would there ever be, oh, I'm trying to think now with the, with the rules in the NCAA, a lot of specialization happens. So 
if you had a front row setter, does your location change? Or because there's so many subs, were you usually playing against a back row setter? I played against back row and front row setters because they run so many different systems. But usually I can read their hands if they're going to dump, so I can make a quick move. And I don't even need to jump to get a hand on it, so I just really <laughs> got to throw my hands up there. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> So just to build on that, you mentioned that a lot of the same technique is used at the national team. So is that because uh, Coach Tom Black and Coach Fish, uh, Fisher, I should say, I don't know him well enough to use his nickname, they're, they're big believers in the gold medal squared? Or is it just because at, at the high level you see the same uh, systems over and over again? I'm not too sure, but they are both very well-known coaches, so I'm sure that the systems they use are pretty consistent at that level. It works, so why not? And being two top NCAA coaches, uh, they're bound to have some overlapping concepts. Nice. And I'm wondering off the court how you progressed as an athlete through your NCAA career. And the reason I ask is at Team Ontario, I mean, we were eating the cafeteria every day and you and I had a pretty good relationship where I thought we could be honest and joke around a little bit. But uh, one thing that irked the other coaches that I didn't really care too much about was I think you had pizza every day. So I'm wondering if that routine stuck when you went to the NCAA or if nutrition became a, a little bit more of a focus as you progressed as a high-level athlete. For sure. I ate horrible in high school. Yeah, even freshman year, like, getting swipes at the dining halls. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to go crazy. I had so many grilled cheeses and, like, ice cream all the time. <laughs> but after a while, I got old, and I started uh, caring about my performance a lot more and realized that nutrition actually does have as much of an influence as they always said it did. Really? So you noticed a difference like energy-wise, mental-wise? Like what was a big thing that stood out that made you a believer that maybe maybe pizza an hour before the game wasn't the best call? <laughs> well, we actually got a nutritionist in college, so that helped me a lot actually getting the information. Obviously, I knew that pizza wasn't the best call, but I was able to understand what foods actually help you perform and use that and actually feeling an effect changed my habits. So take us through, we'll, we'll do a game day, but to start with practice, how would you manage class, find times to eat, uh, go to practice and lift? Like, uh, Give us an example of kind of what a, a varsity athlete at Pittsburgh goes through with your class schedule. Like, I know every day is a little bit different, but what's like a typical day where you don't have a match, you're just training maybe early in the week? Yeah, a typical day, we have 7 a.m. lift, um, so get up at 6.20 and get up to the field house, which is our venue, and they have a nutrition center there, so we're able to grab breakfast and fruit, whatever we need, bagels there, before we do our lift, do that, and then we can also get snacks there after to head to our classes, which start around 9 a.m. for most of us. So from 9 to 11, we have classes. And then practice, we have to be back up there by 1 o'clock. Um, practice starts at 2, but from 1 to 2 is when you get your individual reps, which are super important, so you have to be there. And then 2 to around 5 is blocked off for practice time. And then there's usually night class that's from 6 to 8.30. So days are really jam-packed. Wow. So we, we try to be lighthearted, but if we're ever going to be a serious podcast, we got to ask the tough questions. So yeah. did they ever limit the schedule you could take, or you just found a time to take the courses you want to do? Because we have heard some horror stories over the years where some NCAA schools 
have told athletes they can't study certain things. So based on your schedule, did you just find all the courses you needed in that, that window of the morning or how did that affect what you were studying? Um, our academic advisors pretty much did all that for us. They, we tell them what we want to study and then they find the classes that we can take. Some like medical students, people that want to be doctors and stuff like that, like it's too hard to fit into practice schedules. So they were allowed to miss a couple here and there, show up late. But for the most part, like you just got to work around it. Nice. Well, that's good. There's, there's at least an option. And then when you were not in season, so between the, the fall winter season and before spring ball started, is that when maybe you would take the heavier courses or would those be done in the summer? Yeah, the heavier courses in the spring. I made the mistake of taking biology my freshman year during season. And after I, that didn't go so well, it became a team rule that you have to take the harder classes in the spring. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Were most of your professors supportive that you're a varsity athlete and understand that you have limited time because of all your commitments? Or were they treating you like a normal student and it, it is what it is, get your work done? A little bit of both. I mean, they were supportive that I'm going to miss classes, like I have to travel. And But deadlines are deadlines. You still have to get your work in on time. Was that exciting? I'm thinking if I got to go play Division One, I, I would want to be like flying to games and doing all that stuff. But eventually by your senior year, does it just get tiresome where you're kind of like, I'm about to miss four days for two games because we have to get on a flight and then travel to a new place? No, traveling was amazing, especially in the ACC when we go to places like Miami and Florida State, stuff like that. It's so cool. I would love traveling. And did you have a chance to watch other sports? Because you mentioned the ACC, so I imagine like, basketball would be super entertaining to watch football would be entertaining to watch like there's a ton of other varsity athletes you could support was the vibe at pittsburgh that everyone supports themselves or did you guys you were busy doing your own thing and so was everybody else athletes were really close besides football was busy doing their own thing they didn't don't want anything to do with us but that's okay <laughs> we still went and supported them um even at we went and played at unc north carolina and they had their big dunk competition right after our game so we all got to stay for that and see some of those great players. So that was amazing. Nice, nice. So so back to volleyball. I'm I'm intrigued that you were practicing volleyball like four hours a day here. So for individuals as a middle, because I think coaches we can problem solve and like set our libero outside, like that stuff's pretty boring and they probably pass a lot of balls, set a lot of balls. As a middle, were you in a position group and it was a lot of footwork or what would be an individual practice session for you? Yeah, um, just the middles all together working on transition moves and blocking. That's pretty much all we did. Did they let you serve? Mm, sometimes. Not really. Oh, that's too bad. I always thought you had a wicked serve. In practice. <laughs> in practice, I served a couple times in games, but we have enough subs that we can put in a defensive specialist for that. Right, right. And then how many girls were on scholarship on the team? I think that's why the sub rule is so special is because there's like 14 or 15 capable athletes who could go in at any time, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. We never talked about who was on scholarship, but I think most girls were on full rides. So how did your prep change on game day? So what? how would you time your meals? What time are you guys at the venue? Like maybe take us through what it's like at a home game and how that kind of changed because – Sounds like a, a normal training day. You were jam-packed with studies and everything else, but what about like a weekend match at home? What would your timing be for that? Yeah, home games, we had them um, on Friday and Sunday, 
Um, the Sunday ones were earlier, so we would go to the field house at like 9 a.m., have a 45-minute practice, and then go upstairs, eat breakfast, and then go to the locker room for video and visualization. And then our game would start at 1 o'clock. So that's Sunday game days. And Fridays were pretty much the same, except we would have practice in the morning. Then you go to your classes. Then you come back and do the same thing, a little short little practice, meal, visualization, video, game. And without getting you in trouble with Coach Fisher here, what were some of the things that either he presented or some other coaches presented when you're when you're doing a video session as a squad, what were some things they went over just to help game plan? Um, a lot of just hitter tendencies. So just know your position, know who you have. For middles, that's pretty much everyone. So that's kind of tough. <laughs> but yeah, big, big players. So know the key hitters and their key tendencies. And when you would do visualization, was that, uh, again, one person kind of speaking to the squad with their eyes closed? Would you do your own thing? Like, what were some important mental habits that you guys built when you were there? Yeah, the assistant coach would run us through visualization. We'd all close our eyes and just do whatever he tells us to do in our heads. And we would all have our own personal mantra that we'd have to repeat to ourselves before games. Um, mine was be big. That helped me just be big and get big blocks and big kills. So yeah, I never really did visualization before college, but it's a super good addition to my game. And did be big, did that overlap into your self-talk during the match as well? Yep, that's just what we go back to if we're not having the best time or need a little bit more confidence, you just go back to your personal mantra. Awesome, awesome. Do you have another example of your teammates? I'm just trying to think of other slogans that people can steal. So yours is a really good one. Did anyone ever share what theirs was to you? Um, no, actually, we all just kept it pretty personal. I'm not sure what everybody else used, but it was just your own little thing. Nice, nice. And have you adapted any of these skills that you take with you to the national team? Or because it's a different team, it comes with a different culture and system? Or did you like something enough that you just you make time for it, even though the Pittsburgh way might not be the Team Canada way? Yeah, I try not to keep like a pregame ritual just in case things go wrong and I can't do that i don't want to be stressed out during the game that like oh i didn't do this now i can't perform so just a quick mantra like be big works because you can't always make time for that and you can't always do that so that's something that stuck with me we we recently had uh dane and kofi jima on the show and as you mentioned we had tori Gorell and i i didn't know this existed but i am interested to hear if you had this experience was there ever any pressure from canadian coaches telling you not to go to the ncaa because you couldn't make the national team like obviously that's been debunked on, on both genders but i was surprised when kofi told me that and it seemed like a real thing where they told him if he goes to the states he basically loses his chance to represent canada did you ever get a rumor of that or did anyone ever address that with you that was definitely a real thing. Not from coaches, I never heard that, but that rumor kind of scared me because I knew I wanted to go to the States because it just seemed um, a higher level for female volleyball, at least. Um, but yeah, that rumor is definitely out there. Now, I, I think it was probably debunked because you were playing on the junior national team while you were committed to the NCAA, but did it help with Tom Black coming in, who is an NCAA coach, or did you just kind of work through it and it, it never affected you, even though it may have been in the back of your mind? It never really affected me because I made the team still being in the NCAA, but having Tom as a coach um, was just helpful because he knows 
what being an NCAA athlete is like. So he knows I need to go back at a certain time. He understands what I'm used to. So you had a, a pretty unique experience where you left for school and schools in a different country. So obviously you had to travel for that. Was there anything to get used to when you joined the national team? Because I think you were with them when they were in Richmond, right? So you finally get some off time from school and you're living in BC where, as you mentioned earlier, you're from Windsor, Ontario. Was that tough to get used to or because you, you're an NCAA athlete and you're used to being away from home that it, it didn't affect you? Being away from home doesn't affect me, and who can complain about living in Vancouver? It's amazing. <laughs> Definitely better than Windsor. Yeah, it's. I, I'm fine with being away from home. I mean, I FaceTime my mom and dad every day. I don't get very homesick. Now, there was a big youth movement when you joined the national team. Did that help because there was other athletes who were in university at the time, or were there some vets uh, who kind of helped keep you guys in check and maybe give you a curfew? Because I'm trying to think when you joined the team, there was there was a big youth movement, but there was still some vets like Richie and Jen Cross and some other athletes around, so it was a nice balance. So did, did the youth movement help with you gain friends, or was it the vets who kind of helped you settle in the fastest? Um, yeah, coming in with girls my age, like Kira Van Rijk and um andrea is now on the team that helps having people my age but um the vets really helped put us in our spot and get us to this more serious level of international volleyball so both very helpful and what's the the mood around practice so you mentioned that tom black it seems similar to what you were taught by uh, coach fisher but is there a lot of teaching and learning going on in practice or is it about performance like where where would you say the women's national team is in terms of uh, are, are you developing and learning new things or is it about like this year, like last summer, excuse me, it was about qualifying for the Olympics and that was the goal every day? Both. Like the goal was always to qualify for the Olympics. We had written on the board every day how many days left until the qualifier. But a huge thing was learning, especially with it being Tom's first year. We had to learn his new systems and it got worse before it got better. But <laughs> it was definitely helpful to be learners. So you don't have to call anybody out, but what did that look like when you say it got worse before it got better? Like maybe some of your personal experiences where Autumn shared some stories where she mentioned that she, she had some rough patches where she definitely felt like she was getting worse before she got better, but there, there was definitely a dip in performance. Did you experience that or just feel it as a squad overall? Both. I definitely experienced it. I could not trans straight off for the life of me. Could not. <laughs> now would that come through a lot of footwork or how did you finally like adopt that skill um less thinking just more doing nice nice and every, every one of our listeners is a big benjo fan what was it like being in the gym with ben joseph and the other coaches with canada it seems like nobody has a bad thing to say about him and i know he was working a lot with the blockers do you have any examples of what uh, ben was able to teach you ben was like my prime source of success on for blocking this year he has helped me so much just in one summer he would basically have something to say after every block move so having instant feedback after everything was super helpful and he was just with the blockers so he was only focused on you awesome and can you give an example of something we can steal because when jen uh spoke about him it didn't seem like he was over technical about like, this is what your right toe needs to be doing. It was basically like for Jen, her, her feedback was a lot of like, did you block the ball? Did you take away space? Like did, did you perform versus like, how did it look? Did you get the same sense or because you're a younger athlete, was it a little bit more technical? No, exactly. Like Jen said, like if you get the block, like that's, all, that's it. That's all you need to do. <laughs> that's awesome. 
Um, so for you being a middle, obviously a lot of the attention goes to your ability to block, but offensively, is there any tips you can share with us? Like you mentioned transitioning straight off the net or maybe out of serve receive. Is there any, uh, either patterns or, or little tricks that you've learned that you wish you would have known when you were younger, or maybe you could pass on to our listeners that have been really effective for you? Yeah. Even if it seems like you, you're never going to get set in that moment, still be available, like still take blockers with you or give them some hope that you're going to get the ball because it may come to you with a good setter you can set from 15 off the net you might get a shoot or something so always being available i wish i did a lot more when i was younger yeah it's got to be defeating i think for a lot of younger middles because they just don't get the ball so they kind of give up right but it does i think it helps the team system as a whole and maybe that's where middles get a little defeated where i'm not getting set but they don't see like the ripple effect that might cause Exactly, yeah. Bringing it up for the pin hitters is a big part of being a middle blocker. So for you being, what, 6'3", when you were, I don't know, in grade 9 or 10 or whatever you said, <laughs> did anybody ever try to change you to an outside, or you really enjoyed the challenge that came with being a middle? Yeah, I was always a middle. I never got talked out of that, because I guess I was always the tallest. <laughs> so that's just the go-to position for a tall girl. Did you, um, did you play I enough like beach it. that you got like passing reps and setting reps or were you, I guess you played indoor almost year round by the time you made the provincial team, right? Because of the summer programs. Yeah. I never really passed anything. Never set. Done none of that. No service. But <laughs> in, <laughs> in Pittsburgh, um, fish was all about being an all around player. So I finally got some reps at everything there. Nice. So when you were getting a little bit later in your NCAA career, was it being a part of the national team that made you think that you could play professionally? Or is that something that Pittsburgh talks about, about jumping to the next level when you leave school? I always knew I was going to do it once I got to college. I didn't know I was going to be as good as I was in college. So seeing that I was still a top dog amongst the NCAA um, proved that I wanted to go play pro afterwards. This is so interesting. I, I love just talking to high level athletes because it doesn't sound like you ever had this ego or that you were driven to kind of be better than people. Like you weren't comparing yourself. So where do you think your confidence comes from? Just the confirmation that, you know, you're amongst the top players and you're playing at a high level or, is there a certain moment that you just get confirmation? Like, I'm wondering, it, when you do goal setting, what does that look like? Are you just there to work hard and you you're, live with the outcome, whatever happens? Yeah, exactly that. I just try my best and whatever happens, happens. And playing with such strong players like Jen Cross and Alicia Perrin and all those big Team Canada girls and actually fitting in and competing is what gives me confidence. Nice, nice. It's a very interesting thing, confidence, where I think some people wait for the outcome to get it, and some people think they have to believe before they get it, where it sounds like you've got a balance of both, which is, is pretty cool to hear about. Mm-hmm. So yeah. with the NCAA rules, what I'm learning, and Tori mentioned this, is it, it's a no-no to talk to an agent. Like, if you talk to an agent, that affects your eligibility. So with you being around the national team and hearing about girls going to different pro deals and doing this stuff, how did you find the balance? Like as soon as you played your last game, is that when you looked into an agent or what was your experience to kind of get that first pro offer? Yeah, I had a lot of agents contacting me like during season and I would just reply to all of them. Like I'll get back to you after season. Like I can't do this right now. I have other things to focus about. So after season, I was able to, you're allowed to talk to agents. You're just not allowed to sign with them, I guess. So I did that. And I signed with one from 
Toronto, so a Canadian, and he's with a bunch of other young girls on the Canadian Next Gen team. So having a source to ask, is this guy legit? Um, do you like him? And getting confirmation on that made me more comfortable with going with him. Nice. And I'm always interested with indoor volleyball, how you compare offers. So how did you decide on, on the club you're going to join? Because in other sports, I mean, hockey and, and basketball, you get drafted, you belong to a club where volleyball, you really don't have a lot to go on sometimes unless you know somebody who's played there. So how did you kind of compare different offers from different countries and different tiers of leagues? Yeah, I've just heard and know that the French league is a good league to play in because the top teams are legit. So I ended up signing with a lower team in the French League. Um, Marie-Alexie Belanger played there two seasons ago, so I was able to ask her if she liked the coaches in the club, um, and she did. So I trust her word on that. And then being there, I'm going to be able to show myself to the top French teams, and that's something I know I'll be able to do because in competition, I show myself pretty well. And how's your French? Because uh, with Belanger growing up in Quebec, I imagine she fit right in in France. Are you going to be able to uh, hang with your French? No, I'm a little <laughs> bit worried about that. Um, they say they offer, or they actually make us take French classes once a week. So I'm actually pretty excited to get to learn that and immerse myself into that. Nice. And do you know, obviously the, the team will change because it seems like volleyball changes every year, the roster dynamic, but... Do you know if you're going to be, first of all, the only Canadian or how many foreigners this club typically has? Um, I know I'm the only Canadian, but they have two girls from Cameroon, two from Puerto Rico, and I believe the rest are French. Awesome. And what stands out to you? Are you super excited to start your pro deal, or does it feel like the level is going to be similar to the national team and it's just the, the proper next step for you, like you're progressing the way you thought you would, or is there just a little bit of excitement and eagerness to get started? I have no clue what to expect. I mean, I'm excited to get back to volleyball and get back to competing, but I've heard some horror stories from pro. I've heard some great things. I have no clue what to expect, but either way, it's going to be an experience and this is the next step in my career. <laughs> nice so is that something that gets discussed either like over dinner with your teammates on the national team or in the team room where if somebody has a poor pro experience they're not afraid to tell stories to everybody and kind of throw up a red flag that if you're going to this club watch out for this yeah team canada is actually trying to throw together a list of teams that are no-nos and ones that are good to go so that's pretty helpful that we're using everybody's past experiences to make a list for the younger girls on what's good for them smart smart and there you don't have to name names but are there any funny stories from pro that you've heard that you're just like wow i can't believe that happened whether it's somebody not getting paid or just promises being broke like what are some no-nos that you've heard about in the club world that uh, you can't believe happened um megan sear actually just shared with us the other day one um that a team in italy made her do a sexy christmas photo shoot which is insane to me that they would make you pose for pictures like that and post them. It's <laughs> <No laughs> crazy. Wow, that yeah, that's that's beyond not getting paid. That this creepy at that point, right? Yeah. So not looking forward to having to say no to that, but. <laughs> 
And how do you feel about the way volleyball pro contracts work? Are you happy with the idea to to bet on yourself? Like you mentioned, you're starting with maybe a lower level club, but you're going to have a chance to play and compete right away. Is, is that something that excites you that you can maybe choose a different country this year? Or if you had it your way, would you like to sign like a, a three or four year deal with one team? Um, not yet, just because I have no clue what I'm going into. And I like to be able to show myself and see and like always keep on improving. So being on a lower level team, I can work my way up. So I'm just going to sign small short term contracts for now. Nice. And I mean, we're, we're a lighthearted volleyball podcast. We haven't really addressed the COVID thing just because we're not experts on it and we're not going to talk about it. But my understanding is the national team is still having meetings. So without getting you in trouble with the coaching staff or the other players, can you just let us know what you're discussing? And maybe that can give some ideas to some other coaches, just how you guys are staying together as a unit and still feel like you're being productive, even though you're not together. Yeah, we're doing a very good job of that. We have a lot of different group chats. We have a talent show actually tomorrow. If you want to tune in. What? Um, <laughs> yeah. On Instagram live on our Instagram account. Megan Sear is hosting. It should be some fun. We have meetings all the time, like probably four a week. There's nutrition ones, um, workout ones. And then we have group chats on WhatsApp, all different kinds. A squad, B squad, both. We like to send swelfies, which is us all sweaty after our workout. <laughs> we're, we're staying really connected. Oh, that that's amazing. So we'll, this will probably come out. No, for sure. This, this episode will come out after the talent show. So <laughs> yeah. what is, what is your talent going to be? I mean, all I could think of is tennis and I have this tennis ball on a string attached to a brick so I can hit it to myself and it'll come back. So that's what I'm going to do. Nice to like to music or something else or that's it. I don't know. Maybe just to my grunts. <laughs> <laughs> that is a tennis stereotype. So that's a good one. Nice. So with that organization, is that a little bit comforting as an athlete? Because obviously nothing's really in our control. So is that structure really helped you as an athlete that, you know, okay, at this time of day, I have something to do. Or is it just nice to talk to teammates? Like, how are you enjoying um, maybe enjoying is not the, the best word, but how are you dealing with these times? Like just, you still feel like you're part of a team because everybody's so organized and there's so much to do. Yeah, for sure. Still part of a team. We have a super intense, not intense, but well thought out workout program. So that gives us a lot to do during the day. We started doing challenges like weekly nutrition challenges that we could post super connected, a lot of group chats, a lot of talking, so it's been a really, um, honestly, useful time for a lot of girls to work on their rehab. Coming from pro seasons, most girls don't get an off season. Um, I just graduated, so I had some time off already, so it's not as beneficial for me. But having off time as a volleyball player, a lot of girls are really taking advantage of this. Yeah, you mentioned you're not coming back from pro, but I'm trying to think this might be the first off season you've had in a while, at least to be at home, right? Yeah, it's super weird to be home. <laughs> So I imagine some of our listeners are just itching that they're not thinking they're getting better. So you mentioned rehab and, and working out. That's obviously something that might be pushed aside in season where you could really focus on it. Are you guys still watching video or getting feedback or is that just not value because there's not, there's not urgency to really focus on technical tactical right now because you don't have a chance to go on court and really deliver it. Tom Black is actually running sessions upon request for 
different positional groups. I know the outside hitters just did one on outside attacking. Um, you can request anything, and he'll run a little seminar with you. So video is still a priority right now because mental reps are still reps, and watching video helps a lot. Nice. Is that something you would recommend that you just didn't know about when you were younger, like the, the value of these mental reps, where I think – it's not talked about, or I don't know too many experts on it. So I'm wondering how many people actually do it. So when you say mental reps, what's something that you could do during this time to still feel like you're, you're getting something out of it? Yeah, I thought it was kind of silly before college too, but after going through visualization, it is really helpful just to picture yourself in moments and uh, what you would do. If so, especially on the sports psych end of it, like if you have negative thoughts, knowing what to do with those when the actual moment comes. So it's not a surprise. And ideally, what do you want to be thinking about during a match? Cause I know everybody talks about negative thoughts and all this stuff and self-talk, but are you aware of your thoughts in a game or when you're in that like flow state, I think we call it, you're just thinking about nothing but competing and maybe aware of what's happening on the court. Like it, what is an ideal mind state for you when you're playing? Um, I think I'm pretty good at it. It's just uh, point by point, just in the moment. Don't worry about what the score is. Don't worry about um, who's coming on the court next. Just play each point like it's the last point of the game. Nice. Easier said than done, but nice. I, I really like that. Hopefully people can apply that and hopefully I can figure it out someday too. <laughs> yeah. So you've made the climb from high school and club to university to the national team. Does does it ever normalize for you or do you always feel like there's a challenge? Like, was there a big jump for you going from Pittsburgh to international play? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, NCAA is great, but international players just have so much more experience. Um, they've been playing the literal top of the sport for so long now. So being up against that in practice every day um, is so much fun because the competition is just that much more intense. Was there anyone on the national team you'd like to give a shout out to that maybe you weren't aware of them because either they're older, or they played in a different conference, or they played U sports where you're just like, wow, this person is just giving me a beat down in practice right now? I can say Sarah Chase was always really good at beating down um, the other side of the court. She's super tough to play against and always is working super, super hard. Yeah, friend of the show. We just chat her on. I learned a lot. So definitely has a, a great mindset for the game and sounds like she works her tail off in practice every day. She does. Now, is that something that's talked about with the national team where there's just kind of value and honor and showing up and doing your best in practice? Like, is it expected, and it's maybe not talked about enough, but it's just expected that everybody's going to come and battle and it's your job to win and we're not friends? Like, do you feel the same sisterhood with the national team that you did at Pittsburgh? I haven't been a part of that group for as long to have the same sisterhood bond, but it's definitely there beating each other, beating each other up on the court, but loving each other off the court. So, it's, it's just fun to be a part of those environments. And it sounds like you've got a great foundation as far as your confidence and your mental skills. So what is the feeling and, and how would you kind of guide a younger athlete through this when the rosters are named? Because the, the women's national team is doing a great job where it feels like they're going to more competitions than they ever have just by the way that they, they keep qualifying and excelling. So when you're either named to a roster or not named to a roster, does the mood change at practice or do you just try to stick to the process and kind of do do what you're best at yeah the mood kind of changes because i mean some people are hurt that they don't make rosters but that's just sports like you're not going to make every team and your time will come so just keep working hard awesome well i'm just looking at the clock and we've taken a lot of your time here i know you mentioned you're, you're not busy but it sounds like you are busy there's a lot going on right now and you got to practice for the talent show so 
one thing we're trying really hard to make a tradition is just to tell a funny story where our listeners have learned that you've played at the highest level and you've already accomplished a lot and, and you've signed your pro deal, but man, sometimes some funny stuff just happens to volleyball players. I was wondering if there's a, a funny or odd story you could share with us before we let you go. Yeah. Um, in Pittsburgh, we always had this trip from hell. It was always Duke Wake Forest weekend was just never went well for us. We'd always lose stuff would go wrong. Like my sophomore year, our coach, our head coach and our starting setter missed their flight, which was totally my fault. Cause I saw them eating when we should have been boarding and didn't say anything, but that's besides the point. But my junior year, we're like, okay, we we're going to Duke Lake Forest. We need a like good luck charm. This is going to be a good weekend. We, we can't go through this hell again. Um, so we bring this Dr. Freddie Fu bobblehead, who is our ACL surgeon. who did surgeries for a couple girls on our team. We're like, okay, like he's done so many good things for us. Like we're going to bring him on this trip. So we bring him. We have our own little private plane this weekend just to make sure that things go even better. We bring him. All is going well. We're getting off the bus to go play our Wake Forest game. I'm holding Dr. Freddie Fu bobblehead. I trip getting off the bus, sprain my ankle, smash Freddie Fu. <laughs> Can't play the game. So it was just, it was, it was no good, but I will never forget it. Everyone makes fun of me to this day. Um, we ended up beating Wake Forest, but we lost to Duke, so the weekend was still not a success. And it's just a horrible trip that I hope that they can make better next year. So the curse is still intact. I mean, you, you split on the weekend, but yeah, for you to spill and sprain your ankle. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so bad. I, my ankles are so weak, but I knew it was going to happen that weekend. It just had to. Did any of the coaching staff make a comment to you or it just is what it is and you had an accident? Like, were they just like, come on, Lane, you're better than that? Oh, my head coach was so mad at me. He just thought I was goofing around, but I was actually just trying to protect this bobblehead. <laughs> oh. See, this is better for club coaches who get mad at their kids. Maybe they forget their jerseys or shoes or stuff. Like, you could be coaching Division One at a big school in the States, and your best middle could trip falling, coming off an airplane because they tried to catch a bobblehead. Like, sometimes stuff just happens, right? I, I really risked my body for the bobblehead, and they both, they both broke. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It, it's been a while since we chatted. we got to fix that because I, I always enjoy talking to you, and I, I learned a lot today. So. Thanks for coming on the show. Good luck with everything you've got going on. Hopefully the national team has a chance to, to do something this summer. And if not, good luck uh, with France and starting your pro club uh, season next year. Awesome. Thanks for having me. If you've made it this far, you're clearly a friend of the show. And as a friend of the show, we'd like to make one small correction to today's episode. The Women's National Team Talent Show happened before this episode was released. So if you want to check it out, it's still on their Instagram page at C-A-N-W-V-B. Please leave a comment, a five-star rating, and subscribe. And remember, the best compliment you can give the show is telling your friends. Stay excellent, everybody.